welcome to Yesterday's Heroes, Episode 3, Frozen Conflict. Last time, we covered the early life of Derek Green, or more accurately, Friedrich Wilhelm Grüne, until the death of his father in early 1950. With his family at risk of financial ruin after the death of their patriarch, young Friedrich made the rather bold decision to join the U.S. Marine Corps. And despite being only 16, he was tall enough, and perhaps hairy enough, to pass for an adult. And soon enough, he got exactly what he was looking for. Some nice clothes, and some money for his family. His mother and his sisters apparently were not thrilled with Friedrich's decision, but they knew there was no sense in turning down the money. And the prospect that he might one day go to college through this new thing called the GI Bill, well, that wasn't so bad. So they said their goodbyes and promised to send enough care packages to make his fellow Marines jealous. So Friedrich, or Freddy to his fellow Marines, then began basic training. And it was there that he met an outgoing young man who would become his lifetime friend and colleague. Levi Fremovich Satlow was born on July 23, 1929, to a Jewish family of Russian extraction from, if you'd believe it, the Lower East Side. He had a natural talent for languages, speaking English, Yiddish, Russian, and a bit of Hebrew, and for drawing. His older brother, Reuben, served in World War II and became something of a neighborhood war hero. So it's understandable that when he came of age, Levi decided to join the service, and specifically the Marines. After his service in the Marines, Satlow made a career as a writer and artist for Rockbridge Comics, co-creating such characters as Dr. Diamond and the Green Brain, and... While working at Rockbridge Comics, he met his future wife, Sarah Zane. Sarah Zane is also quite important to our story, but not quite yet, so just stick a pin in that for now. After Rockbridge closed its doors, Satlow and his wife began illustrating and publishing children's books. And I'd say give them a look. But beyond his pop culture contributions, Satlow was well known for the close personal relationships he cultivated with the Good Samaritans of America, and that makes him an immensely valuable source from a historical perspective. Sadly, he passed away in early 2020. But in the final years of his life, he joined forces with journalist Paul Vanetti to produce and publish The Man Behind the Silver Eagle, which stands as the definitive biography of America's first superhero, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to 1950, where Satlow and his new pal Freddy spent their summer getting their rear ends absolutely kicked in U.S. Marine Corps basic training. They did not realize then that in a few months' time, they would be fighting for their lives on the Korean Peninsula. The Korean War is especially significant to our story as a whole, from the Society of American Mystery Men to the Diomedes Program to Black Thunder the footprint of Korean War veterans in particular on the American superhero community is unmistakable. So if you'll indulge me, I'm going to take a bit of a detour and give you all a rundown of the Korean War. After the Japanese Empire came to a violent end in 1945, the territories it had conquered in the preceding decades became contested among the United States and the Soviet Union. This divide was clear as day on the Korean Peninsula. North of the 38th parallel stood the Communist Democratic People's Republic of Korea, the DPRK, under the leadership of Kim Il-sung and backed by Soviet Union, 
south of the 38th parallel, sat the anti-communist Republic of Korea, the ROK, led by Sigmund Rhee and supported by the United States. Both these republics were established in 1948. Tensions were high between the two republics, each of which claimed sole ownership of the peninsula and each of which conducted brutal political repressions. Then, on June 25, 1950, DPRK forces poured across the 38th parallel in a dramatic invasion. ROK forces, for their part, were caught completely off guard and made a hasty, violent retreat down the peninsula. The small number of American forces stationed on the peninsula were themselves caught completely unaware. By September, ROK and American forces had their backs to the sea as they dug in to hold a defensive perimeter around the city of Busan. But they held out just long enough for the DPRK forces to stall. And by this time, President Truman had called upon the United Nations to support the Republic of Korea in driving out the North. So, in addition to American forces, the ROK would be bolstered by fighters from Great Britain, the Turkish Republic, and even from Ethiopia. These UN coalition forces, led at the top level by the legendary and very melodramatic General Douglas MacArthur, then conducted an amphibious landing at Inchon, and despite some engagements with Soviet air forces, the United States established air and naval supremacy. UN forces retook the ROK capital, Seoul, and pushed the DPRK forces all the way to the Yalu River. It was then, however, that the newly established People's Republic of China, under the leadership of Mao Zedong, got involved. Chinese troops immediately reversed the gains of the UN coalition, recapturing Seoul and pushing past the 38th parallel. But massive aerial bombings and other logistical concerns stalled the Chinese advance. UN forces pushed back, retaking Seoul yet again, and another battle for Seoul followed in China's next offensive, but it didn't amount to much beyond the continued destruction of human life. From that point on, neither side could gain the upper hand, any territory won was quickly returned to enemy hands. The war continued in this bloody stalemate until the summer of 1953. By then, changes in leadership in both Moscow and Washington motivated the superpowers and their junior partners to enter peace talks. A ceasefire was agreed to, and a demilitarized zone was established along the 38th parallel. But, critically, Syngman Rhee refused to sign a formal peace treaty, and as a result, the Korean War is still technically ongoing, a frozen conflict. The Korean War was utterly devastating. Over three million people were killed, and millions more were displaced. Indeed, this conflict can morbidly boast a higher percentage of civilian deaths than either World War II or Vietnam. This was a war defined by atrocities, by massacres, by indiscriminate bombings, and by enormous deprivation. Accounts from combat veterans are harrowing, and accounts from civilian survivors are heartbreaking. And while this conflict and its repercussions are still a lived reality for the people on the Korean Peninsula, it is often overlooked here in the States, which, while that's deeply unfortunate. Without the Korean War, there would be no Silver Eagle. Friedrich Rune and Levi Satlow served in the 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines. As such, they were present for the decisive breakout of the Pusan Perimeter, they provided support for the landings at Inchon, and they were boots on the ground for the vicious house-to-house -house combat of the Second Battle of Seoul. Reading between the lines of Satlow's book, we can tell that Friedrich, barely 17 at the time, he took it especially hard. Satlow even attributes his friend's chronic insomnia and tremors to the fighting in Seoul. 
And just as they were present for the coalition's first major victories, the 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, were also present at one of the coalition's greatest defeats. In late November 1950, Chinese troops launched a surprise attack on the UN forces at the Chosin Reservoir, forcing a retreat. The winters in Korea can be bitterly, bitterly cold. And during the course of the retreat from Chosin, Friedrich lost nearly half of each foot to third-degree frostbite. Trying to stand was clumsy and painful. Trying to walk without crutches was out of the question. And at the thought of being shipped home as, and this was the term he used, as a cripple, well, there's no easy way to say this, but young Friedrich tried to commit suicide. Fortunately, Satlow was able to get to his friend before he could take his own life. Yet even after this attempt, Friedrich remained despondent. But right around this time, a handful of men from some obscure department in the government started popping up in infirmaries and sick bays all across Korea. They were looking for servicemen who had been injured in order to take part in medical experiments. The participants, of course, would also receive some financial compensation. Satlow went to his superior officer and recommended Friedrich Rune for whatever these experiments were. Maybe, he thought, it'll do him some good. Next time, we'll follow Friedrich and several other young men who served in Korea as they become the guinea pigs in the most radical scientific experiments ever carried out, the Diomedes programs. Until then, I hope you enjoyed the show, and thank you for listening.